I thought that to drop the ball meant that I had failed at something, that I wasn't taking timely action, that I was disappointing myself, my family, my community. I know this might sound dramatic uh, to some people, but in my case, I felt like if I dropped the ball, I would be disappointing the entire Black race, as in, they're not gonna hire another Black person again if I mess this up. I legitimately felt that way for a long time in my career. This is In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. I'm Andrea Gallego. And I'm Corinne Lines. Each episode, we have meaningful and vulnerable conversations with women leaders in digital, business, and technology. This episode is a little different. The conversation you're about to hear was recorded as part of a BCG Women at Gamma event held June 10th, 2022. Tiffany Defu and I sat down for a fireside chat as part of the event. Tiffany is the CEO of The Crew, a peer coaching platform for women looking to accelerate their professional and personal growth. She's the author of Drop the Ball, a memoir manifesto that shows women how to cultivate the ability to let go. She was a launch team member at Lean In and chief leadership officer at Levo, a technology company and one of the fastest growing millennial professional networks. Tiffany has so many insights to share on how to create a community of women supporting women, how to take care of yourself but letting things go, and why we still aren't seeing as many women in leadership as we should. Here's Andrea's conversation with Tiffany as a part of that event. So we figured we'd uh, first start by asking you a little bit of just, you know, a little bit more about yourself, why you started the crew, your your background. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's It's awesome to be here. My life's work is advancing women and girls. Uh, that's pretty much why I'm on the planet. I do mean that literally. Every job that I've ever had, every dollar I've ever donated, every board I've sat on, every book, article, even if you look at my social feeds, every social media post, except for maybe a few when I'm just bragging about my kids because I think they're cute, <laughs> um, is about how we harness women and girls talent and ingenuity for the benefit of all of us. I don't share that my life's work is advancing women and girls because I think everyone's life's work should be advancing women and girls. I actually am really grateful that there are some people who are getting up every day thinking about education and ensuring that it's accessible and engaging for all. I think it's important that someone's waking up every day thinking about our economy, hopefully at the Fed. <laughs> I think that there is someone who woke up today thinking about the sustainability of our planet and global warming. I share with you why I'm here, because when you have a lot coming at you, a lot of emails, a lot of texts, Slack messages, expectations, meetings, bosses, pets, kids, parents, whatever it is that you're dealing with, life is a lot simpler when you know why you're here when you have some kind of anchoring point. And so we could talk about a bunch of things, um, but I think that kind of getting clear about our passion and our purpose can be very centering in a world that's quite uncentered, uh, it feels like today, in which we're dealing with a lot of, a lot of things. So that's been my trajectory. And it's an important through line because I've done lots of different things. You know, some people say, that you were a fundraiser and you're on this board and now you're a 
tech entrepreneur and, you know, you're an author of this book. But for me, it's all the same. Basically, I see that women have an issue or a problem and I'm obsessed with solving it. And if that means that I have to become a tech entrepreneur when I have two English degrees and can't write one line of codes, you better believe uh, I will figure out how to do it because that's how much I care deeply about advancing women. So it's been a journey, but it's one that I feel really satisfied by. And it's one in which I've been the cumulative investment of a lot of people who have poured themselves into me, whether because they just took a meeting when I asked them if I could pick their brain, or they gave me a job opportunity, or they endorsed my book, or they invested in my company. And one of my mentors taught me that it's going to get very lonely at the top if you don't send the elevator back down. And so that's what I'm trying to do every day is just send the elevator back down and also ensure that all of the people who have invested in me, when it seemed like there wasn't a very rational reason to do that, that the world gets a return on the investment that they made in me. And if I can do that, that's my way of saying thank you. So there's lots there. We could talk about more about the journey, but that's basically why I'm here, like literally right here with all of you. <laughs> it's in by now. Yeah, it's amazing. You talked about sort of holding on and powering through with so many of these things. And then your book is about letting go. Yes. What inspired you to write that book? What made you think like, we need to talk about this? Yes. So a lot of different things. Um, so first of all, I wrote a book called Drop the Ball because I used to be someone who was terrified of ever dropping a ball. I thought that to drop the ball meant that I had failed at something, that I wasn't taking timely action that I was disappointing myself, my family, my community. I know this might sound dramatic uh, to some people, but in my case, I felt like if I dropped the ball, I would be disappointing the entire Black race, as in, they're not going to hire another Black person again if I mess this up. I legitimately felt that way for a long time in my career. And what happened to me was a number of things. One was in 2012, top bottom of 2012, top of 2013, I was on the launch team for Lean In. And I was doing a lot of public speaking that year. And I made an observation that I hadn't really made before. At the time, I was coming off of running a national women's leadership organization that trained women to run for a political office. And my observation was that every time I would speak for about Oh, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, sometimes an hour on a stage, usually about collective solutions to getting more women into leadership. So I'd be talking about things like equal pay for equal work, which we should all be advocating for, and making sure that we have childcare policies that allow for working families to be able to be caregivers and to be providers and working with companies to create cultures where everyone could bring their full selves to the table. All of what I feel like are important collective solutions. I noticed that whenever I stopped talking, and we opened it up for the Q&A, the first set of questions that I would always get were to me personal questions that really had nothing to do with what I thought I had been talking about for like the past 45 minutes. Like somebody would say, yes, Tiffany. And by the way, it was usually like a room full of a lot of women. So you mentioned your husband is in Dubai right now. You live in Harlem. You have two school-age kids, but you're with us right here in San Francisco. 
I listened to your bio. It seemed very impressive. You seem happy and healthy <laughs> and all, all of this purpose. And I like your dress. You look like you might even have time to go to the gym. And I'm just sitting here wondering, like, what's the hell? You know, how are you doing all of this? How are you managing it all? And that question, I used to, as a feminist, not really respect because men don't really get that question. So I would kind of dismiss it. Why are we always asking women this question? But I had one day what I call a Tiffany's epiphany. Some of you might call those, <laughs> you know, aha moments when I was stepping back from a podium and this kind of a voice of God said to me, Tiffany, women are not asking you, how do you manage it all? Because they care that much about the details of your personal life that maybe you don't want to disclose. They're asking you, how do you manage it all? Because they're sitting there in their seat wondering, how am I going to manage it all? And if your life's work really is advancing women and girls, you owe women an answer to that question. Because how is somebody going to get to be a CEO? How is somebody going to get to be a VP? How is someone going to get to be a senator or Absolutely. without figuring yeah. out, like, how do you get out of the house at the right time with everyone in the right backpack and the right lunch? Like, there are very basic questions here that, that people are wondering. And so I decided that I would answer that question. The other experience I was having was I was saying yes to a lot of coffees and teas and lunches at that time. You'll get to a point in your leadership where people would love to have more access. And I started meeting with women every Tuesday and Thursday at 9, 10, and 11. I would maybe do six, sometimes seven conversations a week if I could. And one of the observations that I made was this tug of war often between our ambition our desire to achieve mastery of our craft and get recognition for it and whatever that means, you know, for us and doing what everybody says we should be doing in the world and the responsibilities that we often have on the home front, which most fascinating to me is irregardless of our actual status, which we can talk about. It's not just a working mommy's issue. Um, everyone feels some kind of caregiving pressure. By the way, the women who are the most fascinating are the ones who may or may not be partnered, who don't have children, who have communicated to people that they don't want to have children, who end up with a ton of work. Because it turns out that in our society and in many cultures, if you're a woman who chooses not to have children, people think you have nothing else to do. Can I just stop you for a second? Because that's me. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. They think you have nothing else to do. And so you end up with a ton of work. Yes. Yes. Because oh, she can just stay and do it. Yeah. Oh, you know, just she can babysit. It's kind of this assumption. Zero knowledge. Yes. Like, maybe I have stepkids. Yes. Maybe I have yes. lots of other things yes. going on. Yes. By the way, another group of people often silent, but bear a lot of caregiving responsibility yep. are people who might be first-generation college students or their parents have sacrificed a tremendous amount for them to be able to get to that first job, to get into their careers. And they have economic caregiving responsibility. They have colleagues in their workplace whose parents are paying their rent or mortgage. These people are paying their parents' yeah. rent or mortgage, and they're having to make decisions about their careers based on that caregiving responsibility that's silent because everyone's like, oh, she's not even partnered. She doesn't have kids. She's yeah. really young. She can just do it all. So it, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter your status. Yeah you're feeling pressure in some way, shape, or form. So I decided that I would share the real reason why I'm able to manage it all in the story of Drop the Ball. It was very difficult for me to do because I would have to admit 
a bit of dissonance with, you know, my feminism, which is that publicly I was this, you know, staunch advocate for women's leadership and the disruption of gender roles. But at home, I was pretty much on Stepford Wife autopilot (laughs) and did everything and had a very bad case of what I call in the book home control disease, which is basically when you think everything under your roof should be done this particular way, which is your way, um, which then creates a lot of work for you. What happened to me is what happens to a lot of people in their lives who are able to, in my case, through an A-type personality and a great work ethic, maintain a lot of balls for a long time. I had a life-changing event in which all the balls came crashing to the floor. For me, it was the birth of my first child. It could be a diagnosis that causes you to have your drop-the-ball moment. It could be you finally got the promotion and you learned that it's a lot harder to be the boss than you thought it was going to be when you were complaining about the boss. It could be that there's a viral pandemic. It could be that there's an economic recession. I mean, anything could happen in which you're just like, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot take this anymore. And what I discovered when I had my own drop the ball moment was that Armageddon never hit, meaning all of the things that I was always paranoid would happen If I ever dropped a ball, none of those things actually materialized when I found myself in a situation in which I had dropped a ton of balls, meaning no one ever called to tell me they didn't love me anymore, that they weren't (laughs) going to be my friend. You know, we laugh, but a lot of our propensity to please other people is related to our feeling that we're going to jeopardize the relationship with them if we disappoint them. No one ever said the relationship is over. My like that boss, awful world, that's that it. Word, like, that's it. Really disappointed. That's me, it. Tiffany. My boss yeah. didn't fire me. Yeah. No one came to read me my Miranda rights, you know, in my apartment. I was paranoid. One of my drop the ball fiascos was I live in New York City where you have to move your car back and forth across the street <laughs> for this stupid thing called alternate side parking. And I used to do that religiously before I became a mother. But then part of my working mommy dilemma was I was always rushing home at the end of the day to relieve a child care provider. I didn't have time to move the car. And you get these bright orange citations. I don't know how many of those things you get if they come and arrest you, but I was always paranoid somebody would come and arrest me. They don't. No one, no one, no one ever comes. I am, and I probably am the winner for the most uh, orange citations that you get. So I decided over time that I would reappropriate the term. Because I began to question why I felt all this pressure to begin with. And that's really what the drop the ball journey is is all about. So I think it's really important that all of us figure out what matters most to us, separate and apart from what matters to your in-laws, your parents, you know, other people in your lives. What your highest and best use is to achieve what matters most so that you're not constantly feeling the pressure to say yes to everything that comes over the fence. And then finally, just figuring out how to meaningfully engage other people in our lives in a much more proactive way so that they can help us, which is also helping them in our lives. So that's that's a bit of the journey. Very much needed. Buck. Yeah, oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you for that one. If I could just change the topic a little bit to the, you know, one of the bigger reasons, uh, the biggest reasons we're, we're here the, in that past couple of days, women in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of times, myself included, we sort of think like, is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Are we regressing? Are we progressing? Are we staying the same? 
you've probably seen hundreds of companies and worked with thousands of women. Maybe give us the, the real, what is it like? I mean, are we regressing? What is it like for women in the workplace, right? We can tell you what it's like at BCG, but I mean, I know some of us here are, but I'm curious, like, is it bad? Is it good? Are we, are we actually making any progress? Because I mean, if you, you know, if you just sort of read the news, as we all know, we feel like we're uh, going a little backwards. Yeah. So I should preface everything I say with the fact that I did a podcast a few weeks ago, and it was with a psychologist who diagnosed me as having pronoia. And I had never heard of oh. pronoia. Have you ever heard of this? No. So you know what paranoia is? It's this belief, inherent belief that people are out to get you or that the world is out to get you. And it creates this sense of fear. Yeah. This person said that I have actually the opposite, that I actually wake up every day assuming that the universe is in my favor. <laughs> and I said, it's not. And he's like, yeah, because you have pronoia. So I'll say I'm an, an eternally optimistic person. And for whatever reason, I have to always see the glass half full. So I I'll preface that by saying one of my measures of success around women in the workplace is literally leadership. And when I say leadership, there are two ways of thinking about it. One is occupying positions of power and, and authority. That's one version of leadership. The other, of course, is what I spend most of my time on, which is really taking on the responsibility of enabling other people to achieve some kind of shared purpose in the face of uncertainty. Like that's the leadership that I spend most of the time on. But I think a good ranking and measure in terms of our society and the workplace of women's advancement is how many women do you actually have in positions of leadership? And we all know that we're entering the college at the same rates. Now, women a little bit more, uh, depending upon the industry, than men are. But by the time you get to the C-suite, and Lean In and McKinsey have been doing this for a long time, BCG does this work. Every consulting firm has like been tracking this in some way, shape, or form. Deloitte, everybody does it. And it's only getting better incrementally. I mean, by just a few percentage points. And we're at about 17, 18, 19. You know, we hover percent when you get to the highest levels of leadership. This is true across nearly every industry in our society. There are a few in which we have more women in higher levels of leadership. But there are basically, interestingly enough, only three places where people don't believe that women necessarily should be in leadership. Meaning, we call those guns, games, and God. Uh, the military, if you interview military leaders, you will find ones that will admit, I'm not quite sure she'd be like on the battlefield. Uh, games and sports. If you interview, you will find people who will say, I'm not sure she should be in the locker room. And religion, that area, you will find people who say, oh, I think there are roles for men and for the women. But across any other industry, if you pull people, they believe that we should have more women in leadership, that this would be a good thing for the world, that this would be a good thing for society. The challenge is that there's a very big disconnect between leadership and all the things that are required <laughs> from maybe managing a family to experiencing sponsorship to having the workplace and culture demystified for you when you enter to 
uh, providing some kind of flexibility to providing role models where people can actually see themselves in positions of leadership to helping people to navigate the politics of it's all these these things that happen in between <laughs> her joining and her ascending that companies tend not to invest as much in. Lots of investment on the recruitment side, on getting women in. And interestingly enough, lots of investment in the most senior women who no one can afford to lose. And then there's all the women in the middle who often don't get the attention. And it's actually been something in my company, the crew, that I've been very focused on. We're very focused on the women in the middle because I feel like that's really where the potential is. That's where the pipeline is being drained. And that's where, to me, some of the most simplest solutions can actually create such a world of difference in just inclusion and belonging and creating safe spaces where people can really bring their full selves to the table and be themselves. So... You know, I would say that we're making progress, not nearly as much progress as I would like. And in some ways, socially, we're taking steps backward, um, which I think is really interesting because it means that the private sector and it means that companies have an even bigger role to play in the acceleration of women's leadership. So I'm much more focused at this point on evangelizing for the collective solutions, but actually making sure that every single one of you just has what you need to get through today and the next day and the next day and the next day. Um, and really just focusing on what women need in terms of their own mindsets, their own behaviors, their own skills, their own practices to support themselves and the people that they love in creating lives that they're passionate about. Because I think at the end of the day, that's going to make the biggest impact. I have one final question for you that we always ask. When was the most recent time or the time you can remember when you feel you've been in your element? Right now. Hey. <laughs> My dad was a minister of churches when I was growing up. And unfortunately, I grew up in a church that had a lot of dogma when it came to women's roles. And I'm convinced that if I hadn't have grown up in a sexist church, I probably would have been a minister myself. So I had to make feminism my ministry. And being here with all of you here right now in this moment, I'm in my element. That was our conversation with Tiffany DeFu, CEO of The Crew. I just need to say this because I feel like we need to say this on maybe 35,000 more podcasts, but pro-Noia. First of all, what is this thing? And how amazing that she was like, so I'm sitting with my therapist and I have pro-Noia. And I'm like, okay, I definitely, I, I am the paranoid one, right? I am the one that's like, we're regressing women's rights. Oh my God. And really, I see you as like glasses half full all the time. I see that and you too. It's because I think I'm like mentally rewiring myself to have my glass be half full because I'm always I'm always so worried but she the way she flipped things and said you know with all of the things we have as a diverse population whether it's being black or being Hispanic or being a woman or being you know gender fluid whatever the case may be we have a lot of privilege 
whether we're able-bodied or whether some of us don't have to wear glasses or she really that is so beautiful because so many people just get lost in this is everything happening to me against me when in reality a lot of us are lucky and have a lot of privilege in certain areas yeah she's really good at um just recognizing the diversity among women you know some people's parents have sacrificed their whole lives for their children's education and now those children are giving back to those parents by paying their rent or taking care of them in ways that they could not do for themselves and recognizing the you know sort of the spectrum within the community of women who are maybe in technology or just working in business in general and just how people are stressed in so many different ways and so and it probably really resonated with you i know because i think you mentioned like yeah or you have stepchildren and nobody knows that cuz you've never like taken parental leave but people just assume and so just her recognition of like that spectrum i thought was really important exactly this has been in her element a podcast from bcg join us every episode to hear meaningful conversations with women leaders in digital business and technology thank you so much for listening <laughs>